It's an absolute glorious morning for us to be gathered together to worship our one true God. I hope that you, like me, are edified in being here. You are encouraged. You are uplifted. I am so, so uplifted by your attendance here with us every time that we gather together. This morning, though, I want to talk to you about a topic that's going to sound a little bit strange. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there because the thought of it was a little strange when it was first discussed to, to me. I, I didn't think that this could possibly really have anything to do with us here in the church. And you're probably going to be thinking something similar to the same. This has nothing to do with me. But I'm going to ask you to hang in there. And I assure you that I believe there's much to be learned when we ask ourselves the question, can we afford, can you afford the royalties? Can you afford the royalties? Royalties, it's, a, it's kind of a legal sort of a term that, that involves compensation paid for the use of a property, usually a copyrighted work, a, patent, a patented invention or a natural resource expressed as a percentage of receipts from using the property or as a payment for each unit produced. Now what does that mean? That's the definition of royalty, but what exactly does that mean? That means when a person creates a book, maybe an author writes a book or, or an artist writes a song or a play or even a painting, that work is considered intellectual property. It belongs to them. Likewise, an inventor who patents an invention. We understand that invention belongs to that inventor. Whenever anyone wants to come along and use that invention or use that, that intellectual property they've created, they, they have to obtain the right to use that work. And the creator usually receives compensation. They're usually paid for it. And this is royalties. That is where the term royalties comes from. Now, unless you own a business or unless you are somehow involved with making these sorts of works, these sorts of items, then you're probably feeling just a little bit confused as to how this applies to you. And again, I'm going to say, just hang in there for a moment. If someone obtains the right to use an artist's product in some marketable fashion, they're expected to pay these in almost all cases. There have been many situations where, where this wasn't done, and it involves many lawsuits and even ruined careers having resulted from it. Just an example of this, back in December of last year, the music streaming company Spotify, maybe some of you have used that company, that, that service before, Spotify was sued $150 million for the alleged use of just a couple songs without paying royalties to their artists. Or back in early January of 2015, it was announced that the artist Sam Smith was going to have to pay 12% royalties to Tom Petty for a song that he or for a song that Sam wrote in 2014. Stay with me. So, again, maybe you look at this and you go, "Wow, that's that's all really interesting. I, I didn't know all that about royalties." But I'm still having a hard time understanding what this has to do with me. This morning, I want to suggest to you that we all Oh, royalties for the use of someone else's work. A work that is far greater than any artist, far greater than any author, than any inventor has ever claimed to create. I am, of course, talking about God and His great work and our salvation. This idea is foreign to so many today because there is a lack of knowledge between the difference of a price of a soul and the price of being a Christian. The cost of saving a soul is known quite well. It was nothing less than the blood of the Son of God that could provide atonement for our sins, that could redeem men from hell. 
So this is to say that nothing short of the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary could have saved a soul. We read these things in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. It says that we were bought with a price. 1 Timothy 2, verse 6 says that Christ gave himself as a ransom. So we understand that quite well, the cost of saving a soul. But what about the cost of being a Christian? What is the cost of that? I believe this to be a question that is extremely important to us. And I will admit, starting off, there, there is no price to pay to simply wear the name Christian. We can all just breathe a big sigh of relief that we don't have to pay a cover charge to, to slap that name on our, on our shirts, to wear that hat. In fact, me today, they, they, only, or they believe that they only need to attend worship a couple times on Sunday, show up again on Wednesday, live a life that is morally tolerable to most of the world. You know, we'll just say that they're, they're a mildly moral person. They're a pretty upright person. That's all that's needed to wear the moniker of Christian. But what are the consequences of this sort of attitude that, is, that has invaded our lives? We have cheapened Christianity. We have watered down Christianity. We have perverted our Savior's words. We no longer require those to deny themselves, to give up and to sacrifice their wants and their own desires. If this is what it means to be a Christian, then we should change the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 and verse 14 to wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to heaven. But according to the Bible... It does cost something to be a Christian. When we simply stop to think the descriptions that are found within the Scriptures, it becomes very evident to us. We read that we have enemies to overcome. We have battles to fight. Sacrifices to make. We have an Egypt that we must leave. A wilderness we must pass through. A race to run and a cross to bear. None of those words, none of those descriptions Make it sound like this is going to be a really easy burden to bear. Christianity is not sitting back in the lazy boy and waiting for God to take us to heaven. It is difficult and it is dangerous and it requires much to win the victory. And that is why it is important and we are admonished to count the cost. Now this morning... As we spend some time looking at that, at the cost of being a Christian. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we looked at what a true disciple is. And we covered in that, looking at it, that there is a cost to pay. And we're going to look a little bit more deeper this morning. And maybe somehow you're still sitting and you go, I still don't think this sermon quite applies to me. Because you know, I already know a lot about what it costs to be a Christian. I, my whole life I've, I've grown up studying the Bible and I know what the Bible says. And you know what? That very well could be true. That very well could be true for many of us here. So what I would ask for you to do during this time this morning is to spend this time in prayer. Pray to God because the fact is there are people in this world and there are people right here with us this morning that we need to understand what that cost is. We need to understand what it means to be a Christian. So we need to be praying that, that hearts might be open and that the message of God will be touching everyone in a way that will cause us to want to act upon it. Not just to take this message and kind of file it away, but to take this message and say, I, I, I want to pay that cost and I want to do everything I can 
to be a Christian. So this morning, let's begin by considering the cost. And the first thing we're going to look at is the cost of self-righteousness. For one to be a Christian, they must set aside any thoughts of self, any, any high thoughts of, and pride. There should be no conceit of our own goodness. And we must be content to go to heaven, not as someone who's going to cross the finish line and pump, but as a poor sinner saved by the grace of God. Turn over to Isaiah 53 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 1, we read, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like, and like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. We get such a vivid, vivid description of our Savior suffering because of our sins. But then look at that next verse in chapter, in verse 6. These gut-wrenching words. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Not only can we claim to have done something and somehow way of earning, of meriting our own salvation, this passage reminds us that it was us, not God, who turned away. We chose sin. We chose worldly pleasures. We chose fleshly lusts over the righteousness and over the goodness of God. We have all gone astray from God. We have all gone astray from the goal that He designed us to move towards. Remember, as we talked about last Sunday, be holy as I am holy. The plans that He had for us, we have all turned astray from that. And the path in which He appoints us to move therein. And so we think of Paul in his letter to the Philippians over in Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3 and, and starting in verse 4, we read that there is so much that Paul could have been boasting about, that he could have been self-righteous about. Starting in verse 4, it says, Although I myself might have been confident in the flesh, or might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew above, uh, of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Paul said he had a lot to boast about here. You know, I consider it whenever I think of Paul, and I see him, maybe people walk, see him walking down the street doing what he's doing. Maybe people would have been tempted to think when they saw Paul, they would look at him and say, well, look at that guy. That guy's got it all going on. That guy's got it right. He's a real Phineas in our eyes. You remember Phineas? Who ran the spear through those that were sinning against the Lord. And here Paul is out persecuting those that he believes are sinning against the Lord. 
this time could have said, I have a lot to boast about. But he realized that he was wrong in so many ways. And even the great things that he did, the things that he did do that were right afterwards were of nothing. In verse 7, he goes on and says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous, righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I, was la- I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that that prize that he pressed on towards was not something that he was going to attain through his righteousness. It was something that he was going to obtain by sacrificing his righteousness to one that is greater, by relying and putting all his trust in Jesus and in his righteousness and in his goodness. So what about you? Where do you put your trust Is it in yourself? Do you treat your salvation as something you earn by by showing up to services? By doing something nice for a neighbor? Maybe by giving food to the hungry? None of these things are bad things. In fact, all of these things are just the opposite. They're something that a Christian will fill their life with. These works are something that are important. But we must never forget that it's not those works. It's not our righteousness that saves us, but that of our perfect Lord. So that's one of the first costs that we cover this morning, is that we must be willing to give up the cost of our self-righteousness. The next sin that we'll look at this morning is the cost of, or excuse me, the next cost we're looking for this morning is the cost of sin. This is one that might seem kind of obvious. It's an obvious cost that we have to, that we have to pay and give up. And it should be, and look at that and go, well, that's an easy one to pay. Because we remember in Acts 2 and verse 38, That we've been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. So our baptism, we were cleansed of our sins. So so we've paid that cost, right? We can check that check mark. We're done. Sin sin is paid. I'm good to go on to the next step. I'd say that we need to slow down if that is our thought process. We need to remember that we must be willing to give up every practice. We must be willing to give up every habit which is wrong in God's sight. This is our fight. We must break off from it, even crucify it, and labor to keep it away from us, no matter what the world may think. Maybe remember the words that that Ezekiel said to Israel in Ezekiel 18, verse 31. He said, cast away from you all your transgressions. Don't set them aside where, where you can come to them later, but throw them away. Or as Daniel encouraged King Nebuchadnezzar, In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 27, he said, Break off from your sins. Break off from your iniquities. This is the cost of being a Christian. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 16, that we cease to do evil. And this sounds hard because it is hard. This is a big, 
big cost for us to pay. This is not one that we should go into and go, well, that's going to be the easiest thing on earth. Why? Well, even Jesus argued that it was going to be hard. Look over in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, starting down in verse 29, He says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus called for you to pluck out an eye, to cut off a hand if it caused you to sin. Why do you think He chose those words? Why do you think that that was what he used to describe our relationship with sin? That we should be willing to pluck out an eye or cut off a hand to keep from sinning. What do you think the the effect would have been, maybe if he had suggested, if your eye caused you to sin or if your hand causes you to sin, well, you should clip your fingernails and throw those away. Or you should cut your hair and, and make sure that you throw that away really wouldn't have that big of an emphasis on us today. That really wouldn't tell us that much. Jeannie can, can vouch for that. People come in all the time to get their hair cut. People come in on a regular, well, they don't go somewhere, but they, they on a regular basis trim their fingernails themselves. And they throw those away because they have no real importance to us. But our eye, our hands, I don't know about you, but I love my eyes and my hands. I don't want to remove my eyes and my hands from my body. And if we are honest, we will admit that we, we did or we still do love sin. We hold tight to it because we think that it brings us enjoyment. We think that it brings us closure and comfort. At least that is, that is what we have told ourselves. We've told ourselves that for so long that we firmly believe it. For many, Zophar's description, back if you want to turn back over to Job for just a moment. In Job chapter 20, uh, chapter 20 <clears throat> Zophar describes the wicked. And for so many of us today, if we're honest, we will admit that this describes us as well. As well. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he desires it and will not let it go, but holds it in his mouth. Sin is a hard thing to give up. Sin is something that we, we oftentimes grab onto and hold to because we think it's, it's a part of that old life that we're just not ready to give up yet. But that is exactly what Christ is asking us to do. We sing this song so often, just as I am. The fact is Christ will receive you in your sins. For that I'm so thankful that I didn't somehow have to, to push off all those things for Christ to receive me. But we must accept the fact that God, Christ will not accept us if we refuse to hold on to, if we refuse to give up those sins, if we refuse not to give up those sins. The cost of sin is another cost that's worthy of us counting, worthy of us considering be a Christian. The next cost that I want to talk about this morning is the cost of comfort. The American dream. To have a nice job that affords you the two cars in the driveway, the beautiful home with all its amenities. Wow, I practiced that word like it was Greek. 
I mean, I don't know. I think it's because Finding Nemo, I cannot say amenities. I want to say anemones. With all the amenities of a beautiful home that it has to offer, we think of running water, we think of indoor plumbing, we think of heating and air. And What am I kidding? That's the American dream of the 60s, right? Today we go, no, no, I'm not happy with just that. I want to have the 120-inch flat screen. And I want to have the designer painted walls. And I want to have the refrigerator that not only tells me what I'm running low of, but also displays recipes on the door and even talks to me. Yeah, I'm not joking. That's a real thing. And it sounds really cool to me. I'm not going to lie. We are a society of comfort. We love the high life. And maybe that is why this cost is so high for so many. The Christian must be willing to take the pains and the trouble that come with running a race. Now recently, mainly because I, I want to support my wife, I've started running again. We're, we're, we're making it a goal this year that we're going we're gonna to try to get in a little better health. So I've started running, something that I used to love to do, and something that I'm very quickly remembering, it's painful. I mean, it really, really hurts. Not just a little dull pain here or there. I'm talking full pains all over. Just the other night, I was running, and I was convinced my heart was just going to jump out of my chest. But it was okay because I forgot about it because of the screaming pains in my shins that overpowered my heart pains. I don't know why that it hurts so bad, but I tell myself it's just the feeling of fat melting off your body. Unfortunately, my, my scale thinks that's hilarious. So, you know, it, it's just a painful thing. But when I stop and think about it, can I expect to live a healthy lifestyle if I just say I'm not going to do that because it hurts too much? It does hurt a lot. And, and so I'm going to set it aside, and somehow I'm going to get in better shape without it. There are some other things I could do, but we understand that, that that doesn't really lend itself to a healthy lifestyle. What if I did this? What if I said, Holly, you go run twice, once for you, once for me, and I want to reap the benefit of that. We know that wouldn't work either. We must commit ourselves to the race Despite the pain, turn over to Proverbs, if you haven't turned there already. Proverbs chapter 13, and starting in reading verse 4, it says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Now I'm really hoping that in being diligent and running that I won't be made fat. But I think we understand this is not talking about a physical sense here. We must commit ourselves to running the race despite the pains. In every hour of every day, no matter the company, no matter the place, whether, whether it is in public or it is in private, we must stand guard of our desires to take that wide and easy path, that path that doesn't have the uphill battle, the path that is smoothed over and isn't full of potholes and isn't full of rocks that we can stumble on. Even within the confines of our own worship assembly? Do we sometimes seek the easy path? Do we sometimes seek the path that says, I'll just let someone else do that? I'll let someone else handle that. And in our lives, do we try to live the life of a proxy Christian? We can't expect to have everything done for us. We must remember the motto, no pain, no gain, is just as applicable to our spiritual health. And so the cost of comfort, again, is another high cost must be willing to pay. 
And finally, this, uh, this morning, I would talk to you about the cost of status. Because that's what we're about these days. We have social media-filled lives where we want to have as many friends, as many likes, as many followers, as many retweets as possible. We focus on our status among our peers, but what about our status amongst our, of our Lord? Again, we'll remember the description prophesied in Isaiah 53 and verse 3, where we read, He was despised and forsaken, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If we wish to be Christians, if we wish to be Christ-like, now that word can even be translated, if we wish to be little Christs, then we must understand that it's going to cost us the favor of the world. To the world, we will look like fools, like fanatics. The Christian can't expect to have their words perverted and misrepresented. And we must, be, and we must consider it ordinary to be mocked, to be ridiculed, or even persecuted and hated because we believe the teachings of the Son of Man who was mocked and ridiculed and persecuted and hated. All things considered, the royalties to the great work of salvation God has made on our behalf, on our behalf are indeed costly. And it takes great misunderstanding and great defiance to say that somehow we can keep our self-righteousness, we can keep our sins, we can keep our laziness, and we can keep our worldly status and still be saved. The cost is so high. But what sane person could ever doubt its worth? When the body is mortally wounded, we would give up anything. We would go to great lengths, even amputate limbs to save ourselves. Or if a ship that is in danger of sinking, we see the crew would, would throw over even the cargo of that ship to protect themselves and to help themselves reach their destination safely. Considering how much more precious the soul is than all these things, what could possibly stand between us and heaven that is not worth giving up? I want to quote a man by the name of J.C. Ryle. He was a 19th century writer and preacher. He said, a religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. Whatever the cost of following Jesus is in this life, we can take comfort. <clears throat> take comfort in the words and in the promises of the scriptures. We think of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36, this last passage, and then the sermon is yours, where we read, <clears throat> Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which, was great, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. There is a high cost. There is much to be done. Be faithful, endure, be perseverant to the end. And there's a great, great promise that is left for us. If you open up in your songbooks, number 470, we'll be singing this song in just a moment. Do you know my Jesus? I think of the chorus of the song, I am so moved to find that Jesus, I'm reminded, is a friend. I'm reminded that he loves you. 
And I'm reminded that he will abide till the end. He will be with you till the end. Just as he has promised in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Yes, the cost is high. But we have a Savior. We have a Lord who is there to help us. If you desire today, that this needs to be the day that you start your journey. And, and, and that you are going to start moving towards heaven. I would encourage you to count the cost. Understand that nothing comes close, though, to the worthiness of the destination. Maybe you've already made that step. Maybe you've already started that journey. Maybe you didn't count the cost in the beginning. Maybe you have things that you still need to give up. There's still some royalties that need to be paid. Don't wait. Heaven is infinitely worth it. Christ, God, is infinitely worth us giving up and paying these costs. If there is some way this morning that we can be of assistance to you, I would encourage you, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing.